Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can always learn more about the vision or get financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Before I jump into a message this morning, I want to take a moment and just celebrate the generosity um, that you displayed last week. As you know, we we had a a school supply drive for Halos. Halos is one of our uh, outreach partners, and they provide kinship care to to students that um, don't have parents or don't have guardians, and so they step into the gap to raise and care for these kids. And because of your generosity last week in the school supply drive and also in your giving, uh, we found out Monday, this past Monday, that over 500 kids got school supplies because of your generosity. So thank you. Thank you for, for doing that and just being the, the hands and feet of Jesus. Today I want to talk about, uh, in this core value series, I want to talk about worship uh, and talk about the, the reason why we gather in a place like this. And, and the reality is it's not just about us in the room today. Uh, we're gathered with hundreds of millions of Christians around the world. Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about the fact that like right now, maybe not right now because of time zones, but uh, on Sunday, hundreds of millions of Christians all around the world will gather together for worship. Why is that? And I think it's important we answer that question because uh, if you got up this morning, which you did, and you came and found your way to church, you are giving your time, which is something that nobody can give back to you. It's the most valuable resource that every single one of us have, and none of us want to waste our time. Amen? So so what are we doing, and why do we come together, and why do we place value in gathering together as the church? I want to show you in the Bible, start to finish, why it matters, and and what the church is supposed to look like, and then practically, what does it actually mean for every single one of us? So if you have your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah chapter 8. I'll give you some time to find that, uh, because it's kind of deep in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 8. The story of worship, when we look at scripture, it's where it all starts and it's where it all ends. Uh, When God creates Adam and Eve, first two people on the planet, he's got got perfect fellowship with them in the Garden of Eden. They're walking with, with God. They're talking with God. Like it was a beautiful picture of relationship with God, unmarked by sin, because sin hadn't entered the world yet. That's Genesis chapter two. We fast forward all the way to Revelation, the end of the book. And where the book ends, we're all, those of us that follow Jesus, we're in heaven worshiping Jesus on his throne. So the beginning of the book is worship, end of the book is worship. Now there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. And if you ever tried to read it, you figured that out. Genesis chapter 3, here's what takes place. Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world, Adam and Eve rebel, and when they break relationship with God, there's this story that unfolds where God is trying to call his people back to himself. He's trying to gather his people back in relationship with him. Now, it's not as easy as just calling a worship service and expecting everybody to attend. In fact, what we see is that um, God provides a sacrifice. He provides a way for people to be in relationship with him. Uh, In the garden, he takes the life of an animal. There's bloodshed that's sacrificed to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. The story of the gospel, the plan that God would send Jesus as his only son, to die on the cross for your sins and mine. 
be raised on the third day. That, that story wasn't some response to our sin. That was the plan from the beginning. And, and as we see that unfold in Scripture in the Old Testament, the question we have to ask is, what did worship look like in the Old Testament? There was no Jesus. He hadn't, or Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus was still on his throne. And so in the Old Testament, what would happen is, and we see it in the book of Genesis, God's people grew in number. They're in slavery in Egypt. God chooses Moses, tells Moses, go deliver my people out of slavery. And when they come out into the wilderness, we see God give instruction to Moses to create what's called a tabernacle or a tent that would move with his people through the desert and God would, God's presence would fill that tent. And so um, all through the Old Testament, what we find is the people of God, they, they would try to approach God at the tabernacle and they would have to clean themselves up because God's holy and they're not, they're sinful. They would have to go through these rituals, right, to get holy enough to get into God's presence. They would have to bring animal sacrifices to atone for their sins. This, these are practices all throughout the Old Testament. It's an unholy people trying to get into the presence of a holy God. Nehemiah chapter 8, what we find, eventually there was a temple that was established. God says, I don't want my uh, presence to be moving from place to place. I want a permanent dwelling. They decide we're going to build God's house. It's the temple. King Solomon built the temple. Eventually it was torn down, but we get a picture in Nehemiah chapter 8 of what took place at the temple. What worship looked like in the life of people in the Old Testament. And I want to read it for us because I believe it's, it's pretty close to what we just experienced here in this room. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. We find that all the people assembled with a unified purpose. And Ezra, who was the priest, Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. And when they saw him open up the book, what was the book? The book was the scrolls. At the time, he had the Old Testament scrolls, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He opened up the book, the scriptures, the holy word of God. And when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. And then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, amen, amen, as they lifted up their hands. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We see in the Old Testament this reverence for, for where God would dwell, the the tabernacle, the temple, and this attempt to get to him, hear his word, and be drawn closer to him. They had to do all the work to get there. In the New Testament, Jesus shows up. Now, what's interesting about this is that worship still happened when Jesus was here. It just looked really different than this. In fact, Jesus came, and we believe, according to the scriptures, that Jesus, at about the age of 30, began to call friends, disciples to himself. He said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me. I'll show you what it's like to be in relationship with God. Like, come do as I do. And one of his closest friends and disciples, John, wrote this about Jesus in John 1.14. We find that the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And so we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, Paul would later write to the church, Colossians 2.9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. What happened when Jesus came is this. God decides it's no longer about people coming to pursue me at a temple. I'm going to go to them. And I'm going to send my son Jesus to them. And so Jesus comes in the flesh. And what the Bible says is that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. 
In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And y'all, this shakes people up, right? Because if you ever read the Bible, read like the book of John or read the book of Mark, and you see the way that Jesus interacted with people, in some ways it it, it can be a contradiction or perceived to be a contradiction from the God that maybe we think about. Right, because sometimes the perception of God is that um, he's, he's distant and he's far off and he's mad at us, right? Like we did something wrong and so we're scared. Y'all ever, y'all ever thought that before? That's where, that's where the people of God were in the New Testament. And then Jesus comes on the scene and, and as he's traveling and ministry and he's going town to town, he's encountering people. And, and you know some of these encounters, you know some of the stories. There were, there were people that were blind that were drugged and brought to his feet. People that were blind, like, they weren't even allowed to go to the temple. Like, if they were paralyzed in some way or injured in some way, it was perceived that their sin was keeping them out of the presence of God. Yet they, they were brought right to Jesus' feet, and Jesus touched them and healed them. Or the Samaritan woman, who was married multiple times over, meets Jesus at a well, and they have a conversation. She would have never been allowed into the presence of God at the temple, but what do we find? God, in the presence of Jesus, goes to her. Or maybe the woman caught in adultery. This drug in front of Jesus' feet, most scholars believe she was drugged there completely naked, caught in the act of adultery. By law, she should have been stoned to death. What's Jesus do? He forgives her. This, this, it was a direct contradiction from some of the people that followed the law to see Jesus live out the law of love and grace. Still full of truth, fulfilling the law, but it was God in the flesh. And so Jesus lived this way for three years, and then Jesus went to the cross where he died for your sins and for my sins, and he was placed in a tomb, he was raised on the third day, for 40 days he spends time with his followers, and then he goes back to heaven. And he told his followers, hey, wait on the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, then you will know what to do. So in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit fall on the believers, Peter preaches, the church is born, but what did the church do? How did they gather for worship? When they came together like this... What exactly did they do? Because the marching orders were most definitely to preach. And it's interesting because whether you're here today and this is your first time at Awakened Church or it's your hundredth time at Awakened Church, there should be some questions that you're always asking about the church that you attend. There should be some marks of a church that should be present. If it's going to be a Christian church, there's some things that should take place in this room, as we gather together, that mark the New Testament church. And I want to go through what a couple of those are. It's five, in fact, if you're taking notes. Because these shape who we are as the body of Christ. Because ultimately what we find in the Old Testament, God inhabits a place in Jesus. He inhabits a person. And then New Testament, he inhabits a people. We are the body of Christ. And so when we come together, there's some things that we should be doing. And I want to look at what those are. So if you're taking notes, this would be a really good place to start. The first one is this, and by the way, you go, where, where do these marks come from? The New Testament is, is really, you have the four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the book of Acts, which tells us the story of the early church being born and spreading. And then you have these letters from Paul, who was a, a church planter. Paul was a missionary. They're called the epistles. Paul writes letters to these churches and letters to these individuals, encouraging them to continue doing the things the church should be doing. And these, these principles come from these letters that Paul wrote. The first one really comes from a letter he wrote to Timothy, who was one of his, uh, his disciples, one of his followers, a guy that he mentored. And this is what he says to Timothy. He says, I want you to teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. 
Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young, but be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. And until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. You go, well, what was he telling Timothy to preach and teach? It was the word of God. Here's the first mark of a church that loves Jesus and is following him. We preach the word of God. We preach the word of God. And you go, well, that's just a given. Can I just tell you that's not a given in every place? I was having dinner last night. I actually and I went to dinner with some friends who have been a part of our church for a little over a year. And, and we were, they were talking about Awaken and why they landed here. And uh, the statement was made this. Thank you. Thank you for preaching the word of God. We were church shopping, that's, and that's not everywhere. And I thought to myself, and I expressed it like, what are you talking about if you're not preaching the word of God? Like as a church, like we can, we can assemble a lot of people and I can say a lot of things. By the way, I got a lot of opinions. Those of y'all that know me, you know this, right? Like I've got a lot of ideas. I got a lot of perspectives. Like when I wake up and I read the same news that you do, okay? Maybe. You may watch a different channel. I don't know. I tend to, I tend to get a good view of all of them. Uh, but I see what's going on in our world. I see the news. I see the commentary. Uh, I see the conflict. Uh, I see all the perspectives that are out there, and, and I am a man just like you. I'm a human just like you, and, and I have certain biases and certain feelings. But, you know, when I get up in this place and I get into this pulpit and on this platform, those don't matter. What matters is the word of God, and I have to take my thoughts and my attitudes and my perspectives and submit them to whatever this book has to say. And if there's anything in me that contradicts this, I'm wrong. Let me say that again. If there is anything inside of me, my mind, my heart, my beliefs, my upbringing, my background that contradicts the word of God, this does not falter. It's me. And so one of the things we do in worship is this. When we gather together, it's that we come in. Y'all listen. Look around the room. Just take a minute and put your head on a swivel. Just look around. Look around. Okay? I promise you, there are some diverse beliefs up in this place. Okay, we come from different places. Some of y'all are raised in the sticks. Some of y'all are raised in the city. We're different ethnicities. We're different races. We're different educational backgrounds. We're different genders. We come from all different backgrounds and perspectives. But guess what? The beauty of the diversity of the body of Christ is this, that when we come together as the body, the head is Jesus, and that's who we follow. And so whatever he teaches and preaches and showed us, that's what we're called to do, right? So we get to take whatever our backgrounds are submit them, submit them to the mind of Christ, which is his word, and follow that. And that's the beautiful picture of the church, the fact that we can come together, hear the word of God preached, leave and go, you know, we're unified behind that. And God knows that is what our society needs. It needs some true north compass, right, that's unshakable, that's unfailing, that's stable, that's the same yesterday, today, and will be tomorrow, to actually follow, because if we anchor ourselves to the shifting tides of culture, we'll never have a faith that actually stands on anything. We need the word of God in our lives. Paul looked at Timothy, which by the way, the church that Timothy pastored, church at Ephesus, and y'all listen, he had different backgrounds too. He had people that were raised uh, in Jewish homes that were taught, hey, God's for the Jews and nobody else. He had people that were raised in, in homes that had no access to God, Gentile homes, that were taught their whole life you don't belong in the presence of God. He had men, he had women, 
He had single, he had married, he had parents. He had all different spectrums. Paul tells Timothy, look, when you get together, here's what I want you to do. Teach, teach the word of God. Don't be distracted by all this other stuff. We would do well to remember that's still our call today. Right, and so when, when I get in this, this pulpit or someone else comes and stands in this pulpit, man, we're always gonna preach the word of God. That is the constant we're gonna get in this place. And listen, there's different ways to do that. You know, some, some, and some people will stand and, and they, they're more of a reader of notes. Some people are more sprinters like me, like move around and you're like, what's actually in his notes? He didn't even look at them, you know? Like, and sometimes I'd do better if I just stuck to the notes. <laughs> some people have stories more than others. There may be 20 scripture verses in this one, one central passage in this one. There's different ways to deliver the word. The bottom line is not necessarily the style of how it's done, but the substance of what's being shared. It always needs to be the gospel. And I would say this too, whether it's um, someone preaching or whether it's an article that you're reading or a podcast that you're listening to or a blog that you're reading or a book that you're reading, man, make sure whoever it is has their belief system anchored on the word of God. Otherwise, you will be led astray. Preach the word of God, that's number one. That's what the church has to be about. Second thing is this, when we come together, y'all, we sing, amen? We sing good here. There's some churches with bad singing, that's not the point. At least they sing. At least they sing, okay? Listen, Paul said this. This is what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter five and verse 19. He said, when you come together, sing psalms, sing hymns, and sing spiritual songs among yourselves. And make music to the Lord in your hearts. So sing psalms, sing hymns, and sing spiritual songs. I find it really interesting that Paul would address three different categories of music. How many of y'all been in the church since like the 90s? Just show me, show me your hands. Maybe you grew up in the church. Okay. We got a good mix in here. That's good. Got some history up in here. Uh, how many of y'all grew up on hymns? Can I get it? Can I get a couple? What are we doing? Awaken. We need some hymns up in here. Y'all see the hands? No wonder they ain't singing. No, I'm kidding. Grew up on hymns, psalms, you know, spirits. How many of y'all like contemporary worship? A little more. Put your hand up. Okay? Yeah, okay. Some of y'all. Some of y'all evolving. For the ones that didn't just raise your hands, why are you here? You know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's funny to me. Like, I look at this and I'm like, okay, Paul was t- saying that to the church. And I have to believe maybe one of the reasons was, you think there was preference even then? How we do music? What exactly we sing? See, the crazy thing is I've been, I've been in ministry long enough, almost 20 years, to be exposed to what we call worship wars, right? Different preference. We sing this way in church. This is more spiritual. We sing these songs. Y'all have the drums. Y'all are demonic, right? Like I, this, but I, I, I saw the news. Listen, I'll tell I saw the news yesterday of the, the earthquake in Haiti, which, by the way, we need to be in prayer for the people of Haiti. Um, I've had the opportunity to go there multiple times, and it's, it's a tough country. It's the poorest country in the world, and, and pastors and ministry leaders have a very difficult job there um, because the vast majority of the country thinks that them having an earthquake is punishment for their sin, right? It's a very old-school way of viewing God, but that's what I referenced earlier. I was, I was watching the news, and, and I thought I was reminded of... For me, one of the most meaningful times of worship I ever had in my life. It was 2010, right after the last huge earthquake, and we were in Port-au-Prince, we were doing construction work, and at nights we would have these worship services, and they looked nothing like this up here. There was no electricity, there was no lights. 
I remember sitting in this church that had no roof. The walls were like broken down and there was an acoustic guitar and there was a djembe and there were little kids dancing at the front of the service. And it was legitimately one of the most intimate times of worship I've ever experienced in my life. You know, it tells me it's not about what the style of the worship is. It's the person of the worship. It's Jesus. When we come together, we sing these songs, whether it's a hymn or a psalm or contemporary music or whatever you want to call it, rock music. If Jesus is being elevated and exalted, like it's worship. That's a spiritual song. I think about a little, a little sanctuary in Gaffney, South Carolina, Midway Baptist Church, where the thought of putting this in there, never but I remember being at a funeral for a mentor of mine, Horace Welchel. And, and I remember singing Amazing Grace at his funeral. There was a piano and there was an organ and there was one person leading. And I remember the intimacy of that moment and the Holy Spirit speaking into my life, the amazing grace of Jesus that I'd seen displayed through this man. And, and, and that moment of worship, it just sticks out in my mind. I think about passion. I've been to the Atlanta Stadium with 80,000 college students and young adults singing in worship. I remember standing there in the midst of the worship set thinking, this is it. Jesus is coming back right now. This has got to be what heaven is like, you know. It was just so loud. And I was like, this is amazing. And, you know, the sky's opening up. And, and I think about Sundays here at Awaken when we worship. And, and, you know, the reality is I've encountered through the Holy Spirit, I've encountered and elevated Jesus in so many styles of worship. And what I want to encourage you with is this, whether it's here or your mom's church or your granddad. Like, whatever, whatever church you're a part of, let's never, listen, I don't care what age you are. We got all ages in the room. We got 12-year-olds and we got 82-year-olds. Don't ever allow preference to, to make you miss God's presence because that can happen. It can happen. You can walk into a place and go, ah, Lee, this is going to be stale, and you miss it. Or you can walk into a place and go, it's too dark in here and the drums are too loud, and you miss it. And none of us are exempt from that. Listen, the Holy Spirit inhabits the praises of God's people. When we elevate Jesus, that ushers in the Spirit of God. We are going to sing as a church. Third thing is we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, this is what he says. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them and intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. In every place of worship, I want men with holy hands lifted up to God to pray, free from anger, free from controversy. Paul says, in every place of worship, so everywhere the people of God are worshiped, I want men, and by the way, it would be, it would be the people of God now, like culturally, he didn't say men and women, but like he would say, I want people with their hands lifted, praying in God, like to God. That's, that's what I want happening in the house of God. And so when I think about what we do here, y'all, we have to pray. That's why we pray from this platform. That's why you'll see people praying in the, in the, uh, during the service, praying at communion stations, praying out in the foyer, praying at the volunteer gathering in the mornings, praying in A-Kids. Like, we, we're going to be people of prayer here. And, and if we miss that, we miss something substantial. I think about Jesus with his disciples. And you look at all the miracles that Jesus performed. Right? He walked on water. Like Jesus calmed the storm, he, he multiplied the fish and the bread, and he fed the masses, he raised people from the dead, he gave sight to the blind. Like of all these miracles, what's interesting and amazing to me is that the Gospels record the disciples asking one question of Jesus. 
They didn't say, hey, teach me to walk on water. Hey, Jesus, that thing you did with the food, like the bread and loaves, that was cool. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to heal. What they said was, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to do the, honestly, guys, the, the thing that oftentimes is our last resort. They said, Jesus, teach us how to do that. And I'm convinced the reason why is because they knew prayer was where he found his source of power. That's when he talked to his father. And so that's where we get the Lord's prayer from, that oftentimes we, you know, you hear in locker rooms and things like that. But the truth is they said, teach us how to pray. And what's interesting to me is that Paul said, uh, when you pray, listen, I want you to be free from anger and controversy. Like if I had to put two descriptives on our culture today, you know what I would say? And we got mad people and we got controversial people. Now what's crazy is none of us would ever consider ourselves part of that, you know? But, but the controversy, the conflict, the disagreement, the tensions that exist in our world, right? The anger, the frustration, the bitterness, the, the thoughts of other opinions, views, or other people's politics, or other people's ideas, right? It's so easy for us to just be tainted by this, but you know what I've discovered in my own life is this. It's really hard to pray for somebody that you're angry at. It's, it's really hard to pray for somebody that you hate. It's really hard to pray for somebody that you dislike. In fact, the answer to maybe the bitterness or the hatred or the frustration or the conflict, the answer is prayer, right? Perhaps maybe the, the, the thing that you need to break out of the bondage that you're currently struggling with is to actually pray for the person that hurts you. It reminds me of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, bless those who persecute you. It's so, it's, it contradicts everything we know and what we're taught in this world. But can I just tell you that when we come together as a church and we pray on Sundays, it's a chance for us to calibrate our hearts and our minds with the mind of Christ. And so we don't come in and, you know, God pray for them, they're wrong. Oftentimes it's, God, help me. I'm praying for them. Help me be your hands, feet to them. Help me be an extension of you to them. Help me love them. Help me serve them, right? It shapes us, not them. We gotta pray as the people of God. Fourth thing is this, if you're taking notes, when we come together, we gather, we celebrate baptism and communion. We celebrate baptism and communion. Now, baptism is the first step for anybody following Jesus. We've celebrated, I don't know how many baptisms this year as as a part of the church, and every single one of them, we hear the story of what God has done in their life. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I'm a Christian, I identify being a follower of Jesus, but you've never been baptized. Hey, that is your next step. Your next step is to get in the water, publicly proclaiming, God has saved me, here's my story, now I belong in the family of God. We do that really well. We celebrate baptism. Secondly, we celebrate communion. And you go, wait a minute, what is that? What are these stations? Here's what they are. Communion is an observation of what Jesus did at the Last Supper with his disciples. If you know the story of Jesus, the night that he would be arrested, he pulled his disciples together and he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Now eat in observation. Then he took the cup and he said, "Uh, this is my blood poured out for you. Now drink. What it is is he was telling his disciples, hey, keep doing this as a reminder of what I'm about to do for you when I go to the cross and die for your sins. When we take communion or the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're commemorating that event as a reminder of what Christ has done for us in the gospel. Here's the kicker. Both baptism and communion are for believers. Baptism and communion are for those who would say, I believe that message. 
Baptism is the message. I've been buried to my sin in Christ. Now I'm raised to a new life. Communion would say, I believe that happened through the body and blood of Jesus on the cross. And so these activities that we do together as a church, they're for believers. And if you're here, you're going, well, what if I'm not a believer? I'm inviting you to give your life to Jesus and step into the family called the body of Christ. And as you see the church observe and celebrate baptism, and you see individuals, singles, and marriages, and kids going back to celebrate communion, be reminded, man, this is, this is the repetitive reminder of what Christ has done for us. Let us never forget the fact that the gospel, yes, the saving grace of Jesus is for new believers, but it's for old believers too, amen? I need the gospel every day, not just when I was 21 in college. That was the start, but I need it today too. We celebrate communion, we celebrate baptism, and by the way, Jesus did both of those things as well. That's what we do as a church. Fifth thing is this, and I'll close with this when we come together. Uh, the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The writer of Hebrews says this, says, let us think of ways, your, your translation may say, let us think of, think of ways to spur one another on to good works. Let us think of ways to build each other up. Like a church, when we come together, man, we're called, we're called to build one another up. I think about what, what I miss when I'm not gathered with the church each week. I miss the building up. I miss the encouragement of, right? Like maybe you've come in here on a Sunday before and you just had kind of a dry week. Maybe you've had doubts about the goodness of God. Maybe you've got prayers that didn't get answered, or maybe you've gone through some difficulty and experienced loss, and you know, the, the, the world can easily make us start to doubt and get discouraged in our faith. What's beautiful is when we come together, we can build each other up in our faith, right? We can be reminded of the stories of what God's doing. We can be reminded of how he's moving in other people's lives, and we can be reminded of his goodness and his grace through his word. We're supposed to build each other up. And so the preaching, the singing, the prayer, yeah, all that stuff, we can do all that in isolation. In fact, all four of the things are already listed. Worship, you can worship in your car, and you should. Pray, you can pray in your car, and you should. Preaching, guess what? You can get a sermon in your car, and you should. That's a good preacher. Uh, communion, baptism, we can celebrate those outside of this room. But you know what you can't do on your own? You can't build somebody up and you can't be built up on your own. You actually need other people. And that's why we say around here, hey, worship is horizontal, not just vertical. That means when you come on a Sunday, like we consider it a joy as a church to build you up, to encourage you, to strengthen you. Maybe through the preaching of God's word to let the Holy Spirit convict you in some area of sin in your life right? But, but if you get in your car after leaving here and you're like, man, that preacher beat me up. I don't feel good. That's not the goal of why we gather together. My responsibility is to open up the word, point you to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you walk through the foyer and you meet people and you see hugs and high fives and handshakes and people trying to remember your name, that's to build you up and encourage you. And guess what? You have a part to play too. Ultimately, when I if I had to summarize this message, it would be this when it comes to worship. Three things it means for us. Here's the first. I need you in my life. I, I, need, I need you. 
right? And I'm not saying that from the seat of like a pastor. I'm saying as a person, I need the church in my life. I need each and every one of you. And the second thing is that you need me. You can't do it on your own. You can, you can try, but nowhere in the New Testament do we see an isolated journey of following Jesus. Nowhere. Why? Because it's made to be pursued in community with other people. So you need me. And the, the basis of that relationship is that we both need Jesus. The church is put together and we gather to remind each other of that every single week. That's why we do this. And that's why we're gonna keep doing this. And that's why these five pillars are gonna be, remain a part of who we are at Awaken Church. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word that so clearly shows us what we should be as your people, as the family of God. And God, as we gather in here every single week, I pray that what we do would never grow stale, that when we come and we hear the word of God preached, that we would come with expectation that you are gonna speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Whether through a song, whether through a message, a testimony, a baptism story, a host time, a prayer. God, you, you speak. Please help us to listen. God, I pray that when we walk through these doors, we, we wouldn't come just with an attitude of what can I get today, but we would be reminded, God, we, we as the body of Christ build each other up. We encourage, we love, and we serve. I thank you for a church that models that so well. God, I thank you that we get to do that together. As we continue praying, maybe you're, you're here today and what you would say is, hey, I, I hear you talking about the family of God. I hear you talking about the body of Christ or the church. And I wanna be a part of the church, but, but maybe the tension is you've never really given your life to Jesus. Like we don't believe in religion around here where we just go to church. We, we believe in the body of Christ where you join, you join the body of Christ. You join in the work God is doing and you, you do that by giving your life to Jesus and getting baptized and stepping into relationship with God. Maybe today you would say, I need to step into relationship with Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Wherever you're sitting this morning, I see you. Praise God. Just lift your hand. God, thank you for these that are in obedience responding to your speaking. God, you tell us in your word that it's the will of the Father for all to be saved. So I thank you this morning for these that we get to see and we get to shepherd and we get to serve and lead. I pray, God, that, that you would help us as a church love them well, serve them well, celebrate with them well as they get baptized and Begin to take communion, God. I pray they'd be just reminded that you are a good God who is faithful and that loves them. As we continue praying in this room, I want to ask a second question. Maybe you're here and you would say, you know, the, the, the building up of, the encouraging of, maybe you go, I just need to be built up today. I need to be encouraged today. Maybe you feel beat down by the world. Maybe you feel alone. Perhaps you don't have strong relationships that are pointing you toward Jesus and you just go, I just need encouragement. I need family today. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? Nobody looking around but me. I see you. Amen. We live in a world that, that, that isolates us, but God calls us together as, as his church. Here's what I'd love to do. If you're here and you would say, I, I, need, I need prayer today for some area of my life. Maybe the ones that just raised their hands, but you go, I'm, I'm going through something. I'm going through a struggle. 
I'm in the midst of a challenge. I just need prayer for something. Maybe it's a sickness, perhaps depression. Maybe it's relational struggles. Maybe it's something in your parenting. Hey, I, I just need prayer in a special way today. And you would want people to be praying for you. Would you just stand up? I know it's bold, but would you just stand up where you are? You got any prayer? I need prayer. Thank you. Come on, the, the enemy wants to keep you in your seat and keep you prideful thinking nobody cares, but we care. Thank you. I see people standing up all across this room that need prayer. Anybody else? Because we're about to have a time of prayer over you. Not gonna touch you, but we're gonna point your way in agreement with whatever you need in your life. Come on, who else needs prayer? We got a lot of people standing up. Amen, amen. Here's what I'd love for the church to do today. The church, because the call is to pray. All around you, there are people standing up who need prayer. You don't need to know the details. You just need to know that they need a a special touch from God this morning. If you would, would you just extend your hands toward those that are standing up around you? You don't know their name. God knows their name. God knows their story. God knows all the details. But I'm going to leave us in a posture of prayer right now in this place. You're going to hear voices that are praying. It may sound weird. I want you to know it's the whispers of heaven when you do that. So right now, let's just join in prayer together as the church corporately lifting up those today who have said they need prayer right now, and then we'll continue in a time of worship.